I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This episode is supported by the Jib Foundation. The Prime Minister still facing questions over accusations of racism from an ugly pre-selection contest in 2007. I entered Parliament, selected by my party, and have been pleased to represent my party at every election since then. Well, he's certainly used race in the past on several occasions. Do you think he's lying? I think it's pretty obvious he is. Jan Fran has issues breaking down the election one issue at a time. Brought to you by a rational fear. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Jan Fran Has Issues, the podcast where we break down the election one issue at a time. I am Jan Fran, as always, joined by my co-host Dan Illick, who spent the last few days in the Republic of Westralia. Yeah, I can t- I gotta tell you, I got my, my, my passport stamped, uh, I got my <laughs> vaccines removed by a guy who just sucked on my arm for an hour. <laughs> it was amazing. It was great. I'd never felt so free. I do have to say, you know, long COVID has disappeared. So if, you, if you're on the eastern states and you are walking around damp, fly to Broome, spend five days in the sun with my mum and long COVID will disappear. That's what I will say. <laughs> It's true what they say. There's no COVID in Western Australia. You want it gone? You just fly over there, mate. Well, today we've got a special guest on the show, Michael Toke. He's a man uh, who this week, I'm sure you're across this story, Dan, accused Scott Morrison of racially vilifying him in 2007. I mean, I applied on my Lebanese village connections, which I just found out... (laughs) You also have some Lebanese village connections that I had no idea about either. Yeah, my my mum's Lebanese, so I've got a huge Lebanese family. So this is uh, really exciting for me. It's like how often in Australian media do you get three Lebanese people on the same podcast? (laughs) Well, I don't think you do. I think this is groundbreaking in so many ways. All we need is Phil Corey here and we'll have a good time. Look, this was a massive story this week, um, the Toke Morrison stuff. If you're not across it, that's okay. We've got you covered yeah. in just a minute. Before we get there, though, as always, we have to take issue with something. What mm. did you take issue with this week, Dan? <laughs> 
Jan, I'm taking issue with everybody approaching the leaders of the major parties in public places. The electorate cannot approach leaders. It just shouldn't happen. Leaders should just walk around unfettered by public opinion. That's what that's what the Canberra bubble's for. That's what the Canberra... No, no one should be touching or seeing or making eye contact with Scott Morrison. I love this story. Um, if you haven't followed the press conferences slash meet and greets of our PM and opposition <laughs> leader, uh, one of them was in Perth doing a press conference when he got accosted, I will say, by a member of the public. And I am going to take issue with that actual member of the public who managed to jump in the middle of a presser and ask, he didn't ask a question, he asked whether he could ask a question. <laughs> have, have a listen to this. I've got a tough question. Hang on, hang on. Are you up for sorry, it? We can't, I've, got a, I've got a tough question. Are you up for it? Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely up for it. Okay. You, no, you, we're, we're, we're just taking questions from journalists because that's what you do at a press conference. So you're not up for it. Oh, my God. Dude, you had the opportunity to ask a question. Don't ask if you can ask a question. Yeah. Just ask the question. Anyone that's ever been in a press pack knows don't ask for permission. Just stomp your way in there because otherwise someone else is going to take that airtime away from you. Uh, exactly. The, the public have a lot to learn from operating in the press pack, let me tell you. Well, they can learn it from this guy who did just that to Scott Morrison. He was up at a pub in Newcastle. <laughs> Pubs are always dangerous places because people are knocking back the beers. You don't know what's going to happen. And uh, and a gentleman, a pensioner with a lot of opinions, approached the PM. Hey, right I'm building this before the election, mate, because this is two promises that you made. You know another promise that you made? Okay, well, look, we, we've, hey. had, we've had quite a chat. Hey, on, yeah, mate. no, you know, you've got to have an integrity commission. <laughs> That's how it's done, mate. That is it. Don't <laughs> point after point. Just get right in there. You gotta gotta beat Scomo because Scomo will talk all over you. I did notice a headline that said Scomo rejected the idea that he actually had a hostile reception. Um, I just assumed that's the kind of reception he gets everywhere. So he's got that's what he's got to cut to kind of that's what he's got to compare it to. He's like, oh, that wasn't hostile. Not like not if you compare all the receptions I've had at all the other pubs I've ever been to. It's fine. <laughs> And if you notice, that gentleman did bring up an integrity commission, which if you missed last week's episode was exactly what we were talking about. So go ahead and give that one a re-listen and get up to speed on why someone yeah, might that want was, a better uh, that was an excellent question from old pensioner number two. Well done. If you're a pensioner out there and you've got some questions, just jump in there. Uh, don't, don't wait around because you haven't got, quite frankly, if you're a pensioner, you haven't got a lot of time left. <laughs> Jan Fran has issues. Okay, to the big story of the week. The PM has been out defending himself against allegations that he racially vilified a man named Michael Toke during the pre-selection battle for the seat of Cook in 2007. Uh, this is a pretty complicated story, so we're going to go right back to the beginning for it. This story starts in 2007 in the electorate of Cook in South Sydney. The safe Liberal seat had been held by a man named Bruce Baird for almost a decade, but he was moving on and the Libs needed to find a candidate to run in the 2007 federal election. So a pre-selection ballot was held. This is when political parties vote for their preferred candidates. There were a number of people in the running, among them Scott Morrison, a former state director of the Liberal Party, and a man named Michael Toke, an engineer and local resident. Long story short, Toke won by a lot. He got 82 votes. 
Guess how many votes Morrison got? Eight. So if Morrison lost the vote, how come he, not Toke, ended up in Parliament as the member for Cook? Well, if you believe Michael Toke, it's because Morrison and his allies orchestrated a smear campaign against him. Toke claims that senior Liberals went digging for dirt, trashing him to journalists as a liar and a fraud. Part of his account is backed by former Labor Senator Sam Dastyari. Scott Morrison's lieutenants, and I'm sure with Scott Morrison's knowledge, turned to the Labor Party and asked them to prepare the dirt file on his political opponent to be able to get rid of the guy uh, and actually have him disendorsed as Liberal Party candidate. Really? I know this because I was the one who put the file together. But where do the recent allegations of racism come into it? Well, they were sparked by this. Morrison might profess to be Christian, but there was nothing Christian about what was done to Michael Toke. That was Senator Conchetta Ferravanti-Wells, who last month tore Scott Morrison a new one in her outgoing speech to the Senate. It's a little convoluted to get into why, but let's just say she's got a gripe with the man. She, unprompted, brought up the Toke saga and then said this. I'm advised that there are several statutory declarations to attest to racial comments made by Morrison at the time that we can't have a Lebanese person in Cook. You know those stat decks that Conchetta mentioned? Journalists went looking for them and they found them. One signed by a Liberal Party member named Scott Chapman, another signed by Michael Toke, both attesting that the Prime Minister used Toke's Lebanese background against him, saying a Leb couldn't win the seat of Cook and claiming that Toke was quote-unquote actually a Muslim. Side note, he's not. That's not really the point here, though. There's one more thing that you need to know about this for it to make sense. The seat of Cook is home to Cronulla Beach. And in 2005, just two years before this saga, a wee thing called the Cronulla Riots happened. Hordes of angry youths had been tearing around Cronulla all day looking for a fight. Their target, anyone of Middle Eastern appearance, It was a race riot where thousands of people draped in the Aussie flag rocked up to Cronulla Beach chanting, fuck off lebs, and beating anyone who looked remotely brown. Good times. The rest is history. Morrison wins Cook in 07 after getting pre-selected in a second ballot. He becomes the PM in 2018 after knifing Turnbull, and he wins the last election. This week, he has been in damage control, emphatically denying that he said any of this about Tote. I think I've been very clear. I absolutely reject that as malicious slurs. But that means someone is lying. And Michael Toke says it ain't him. Wow. What a great yarn. You know, Jan, you know what would be great? It would be great if we could actually hear from the man himself, but he's probably, you know, extremely busy. Uh, probably every other journalist in Australia wants to talk to him. <laughs> you know, he just he's done the project this week. He's probably got 60 minutes lined up. There's no way we could get him. Well, you know what? It turns out that if you text Michael Toke, he just calls <laughs> you back and agrees to do oh an God. interview with you. And <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> and so that's exactly what happened. I was like, this is going to be a long shot. Let's give it a go. And like I said, leaned very heavily on the old <laughs> Lebanese village connections, plus some hectic Lebanese guilt that no one can ever say no to. And he has decided to join us on this potty to talk about what happened 
and so much more. So I actually sat down with him yesterday, 24 hours before recording this. And let me tell you, our chat gets personal. I'm going to show you my nerdy side. The Lord of the Rings is all about good versus evil and the temptation of power and the ring. These are inherent human issues that are being debated. Who are you in Lord of the Rings and who is Scott Morrison? Scott Morrison is Sauron, absolutely, um, without any any doubt he's Sauron. Um, I would probably be, oh, how do I answer that without sounding cocky? Because they're all, I'm Samwise. I think I'd be Samwise, Gamgee. Frodo, let, you know, took a lot of the credit, but, um, you know, Sam pretty much did most of the work. So, um, <laughs> but I don't want to, I don't want to create any enemies uh, in Lord of the Rings because um, I probably just upset half of the fans. Michael, first of all, thank you for um, joining us. I kind of just want to start with you here at the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I mean like the beginning, the beginning. So who, who is Michael Toke? Tell us a bit about where you grew up, your family, and how you found your way into politics. I grew up in Redfern, um, the eldest of eight children. We didn't have a huge amount of possessions or, you know, finances. God bless my my parents. Um, did it feel like we missed out? Uh, I don't know how many degrees between the eight of us we have, um, including multiple mo- master's degrees um, across a number of mediums, whether it's um, business, architecture, um, psychology. Politics, you went into politics. What, what took you yeah, into but, that? But you don't need a qualification for that, uh, as you can tell from some of the people that get elected. Um, <laughs> so The shade early, Michael, jumping in with the shade early. So I grew up in Redfern, Gough Whitlam, came to my grandparents' house in Redfern. They were community leaders of the Lebanese community. And I grew up hearing this story. I mean, it was a big deal in our community, massive deal. And what are we talking, 60s, 70s? I'm not. How old do you think I am? <laughs> I'm a, this, this interview's over. No. Yeah, it was a bit of a melting pot for very low socioeconomic, um, non-Anglo people, you know, Indigenous people uh, and Lebanese. But... Even with all the, you know, the abject poverty and the drugs, I never felt like it was an unsafe area. There was a bit of harmony between people because we were all cut from the same cloth. So did that upbringing then spur you to go into politics? And am I right in saying that you started um, your sort of, I guess, career in politics in the Labor Party? I got signed up like most people get signed up as I ended up signing other people up. And a lot of it was admin and, you know, bickering, um, people positioning, posturing for positions. It mm. was, I don't know, maybe my expectations were, you know, way overinflated. For, for whatever reasons, I, I just sort of left it. Okay. And so when did, when did you join the Liberal Party? How long before the, the Cook Priest election did you become a member of the party? About seven, eight years. Okay. So you're you're running for pre-selection in the seat of Cook in 2007. Yep. Um, there's a vote. There's a number of people uh, who've put their hand up for that vote. You and Morrison are among them. You win the vote pretty substantially. Yep. Then what happens? They forced me to spend almost a thousand, hundred thousand dollars in legal fees just to have the right to stand to attend on the day and be considered by 160 delegates from across the entire state. They tried to knock me out from two months before the pre-selection um, on technicalities, um, and um, which all turned out to be 
uh, nonsense. When you say they would try, they they made you pay $100,000 in legal fees or they pushed you to pay that much in legal fees just to be able to run in that first pre-selection battle. Who are you talking about and what were they throwing at you that you had to go down the legal avenue? So the state director, who was a very close friend of Scott Morrison. So you're saying that there were people in the Liberal Party that did not want you to run in the pre-selection battle that you won at all. So I'd get an email or a phone call. Oh, we just had an allegation come in. You need to come into the office now, like literally now. And I turn up and it's like, oh, we've had an allegation come in that you've owned, you own and operate, you and your family own and operate a number of brothels. What do you say to that? What did you say to that? What are you talking about? We don't. Um, and he goes, oh, would, would you be happy to put in a stat deck? Yeah, no problem. Did that a few days later. You need to come in. Another allegation's come in. Allegation has come in that you were involved in an altercation in a bar fight where you've stabbed someone. And now I've, I've, I've got all this in writing, right? And I'm happy to share it with you. Um, and it's like, well, that didn't happen. <laughs> it's almost laughable, right? Um, so who, who's putting these allegations to you? Can you name them? Well, the state director at the time, the guy who's mm-hmm. actually the, like, if it was a state of origin match, he's literally the head referee. He's the main arbitrator of a pre-selection. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, he's meant to be extremely objective, um, and just make sure the due process is followed. Um, so yeah, this happened a few times. So it's like, you know, WTF, um, I think I need to lawyer up and lawyer up. I did. And this went on for months. It wasn't hard to see, you know, how you could easily rack up a hundred grand in legal fees. Why do you think that they were um, trying so hard to stop you from running for pre-selection? Like, why did they do this to you? Because I knew I'd win. And what was the problem for them with you winning? Well, it's pretty obvious now. There's a couple of problems. One, the seat was promised to Morrison. That's why he moved from his Hillsong base in Mitchell. Um, down to the Southern Shire. Um, and he was a known leaning conservative at the time, moved into a very strongly held moderate area. Um, it's not his base. Okay, so uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that you've sort of, um, you know, alleged has happened after you won that initial pre-selection. I'm not alleging. I'm objectively, demonstrably, factually verifiable. So what what happened? Talk us through... Um, some of the articles that appeared about you in the Telegraph, which we should say you sued for defamation over and you won that defamation case. I was in a pretty dark place after that episode, right? And I was really, yeah, I wouldn't say broken, but I was pretty close. Um, I just felt the shame of people looking at me like, what have you done to our community? Um, You've embarrassed us. Um, And that's how I felt. I brought the whole community, not just the, the Christian side, but, Middle Eastern community, you know, the, the first generation children of migrants um, into disrepute. By ending up in the paper where there were allegations that you had acted improperly? That you- Correct. Because, I mean, of course, for me to have won the pre-selection, being a Lebo in a Melbourne Cup field in a blue ribbon seat in Liberal Heartland, he either must have cheated and or been dodgy. To this day, I cannot Google myself. It literally is a slippery path I don't want to go down. Um, maybe after the events of the last week, at some stage when I have a bottle of scotch in front of me, I might, uh, for a laugh, see what's out there now. Um, 
What are you worried about if you Google yourself? What stopped you from doing that? Ripping scabs off wounds that have healed that I just don't need to go down there. I mean, I literally put it behind me to think I'd ruined not only my reputation. I mean, one of the articles we sued was that um, Toke facing five years jail because that's the article that really upset my mum. So there was the, you, you did do some um, press about what happened in 2007 in the years that followed. N- not a lot. Um, and then this thing blew up because late last month, Senator Conchetta Firavanti-Wells mentioned this saga in the Senate. Um, you say that you had no idea it was coming. Absolutely. How did you then hear about it? Did someone just text you and say, Michael, you're on the news? I had a long day at work, came home, did my dad duties and passed out. Um, woke up Wednesday morning and glanced at my phone and it had gone into literally meltdown. I was being tagged in Facebooks, YouTube clips, multiple missed calls. I'd been texted on multiple texting applications. So I was like, what's happened? Like, I actually was worried there was a nuclear incident in the Ukraine-Russian conflict. Like, my mind was racing. I was literally half asleep. So what so what goes through like what happens to someone when they're at a center when they're at the center of a story like this um where the day before they were just a regular person that you know nobody would have known their name and then suddenly 24 hours later you're just all over the press. I remember thinking okay whatever in some parts and another part of me was thinking well I'm glad some of the stories got out there zero intention of talking to anyone um I just sort of blow over. So you thought I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to I'm just going to lay low. I'm just going to wait till this blows over. But you you do say something. Eventually you do obviously come to the decision that you are going to talk about it. Why did you decide that? C- certain documents were leaked and they had my name on it. One of them had my name on it. There were others floating around. Um I'm aware of what I think's out there. I know what I've seen in the past and I wasn't sure what was leaked and what wasn't leaked. Um so when journalists were telling me, and on this occasion, very politely, look, this is a very public interest story. We, we have to write it. We're going to write it. This is all text messages. Right? I'm not responding. I'm not even acknowledging the messages. I'm not even saying no comment. I'm just ignoring all the journals, right? And then it was, hey, Michael, do you have the stat decks? And then it was, hey, Michael, we've got the stat decks. And so, so it escalated to the point where you felt that you had to respond. So I had to then make a decision, right? My name, my family name was going to be out there again. Um, do I do what I did last time? Do I do what I've done the last 15 years, say nothing? Or do I at least make sure whatever's printed is accurate? Yeah, you've been pretty no holds barred in the last week about your um, comments regarding Morrison. I think you've called him a liar, um, said that he's from not fit to be prime minister, Um uh, that he that you were treated as uh, a dodgy leb. You've reaffirmed those um, what you had set in your stat deck that he used your Lebanese heritage against you. So you really you've you've gone hard. I've just told the truth. That, that's I'm not the one made that made the story hard. They went hard. They went low and hard, and they were relentless. Um, I'm just putting it out there what happened. What do you say to people who say that you've got a gripe against Morrison because you lost the pre-selection and you're trying to hurt him ahead of the federal election? I don't know what they're talking about. Um, I don't have a gripe against Morrison. I don't think about Scott Morrison anymore. 
Um, and if I wanted to hurt him, I could have hurt him before he became prime minister and maybe he wouldn't have become prime minister. You mentioned this week that you got a text from a cabinet minister that is close to Morrison saying, I believe you and essentially backing your speaking out about this. Who's the cabinet minister? I can't believe you asked that question with a straight face. <laughs> As if. Are you trying to treat me like a dumb lebo? <laughs> well, if there's, if there's one person that could get away with treating one dumb lebo like a dumb lebo, it's maybe another dumb lebo who's trying to get some information out of you that I knew there was no chance in telling you were going to give me. I last night texting me verbatim who was the cabinet minister. It's like... Is that a serious oh, please, co- I'm not going to tell anyone, honestly. Yeah. Who am I yeah, going to tell? Just, exactly. just tell me. Um, but, you know, unlike Scott Morrison, who will use people, um, abuse them if you need to, and throw them under the bus if he needs to, to protect himself, I'm not – I could show people that message. It would be absolutely front-page news for the next few days. It would probably be the final nail in his coffin. Um, but – that would end someone's career who's worked very hard, as I know what it takes to get into parliament. And that person has a family and um, I don't do that. I mean. But there's been sort of a bunch of reporting and and accusations of Islamophobia within the highest ranks of the Liberal Party. I mean, I'm bringing this up because it pertains to this particular story. Um, there's your story. There's reports from 2011 that Scott Morrison, who was then the opposition immigration spokesman, um, urged his cabinet to capitalise on the electorate's growing concerns about Muslim immigration. I'm quoting from an article there. He has denied this, by the way, I should say that. Uh, sorry, he's denied about other people who were there who challenged him in that meeting have come on the record, which is extraordinary, and told him and, and actually affirmed it. So his denials mean nothing. Yeah, there have there, there there are people. He doesn't deny the meeting. He denies that he brought up Muslim immigration to exploit it. He says he brought up Muslim immigration as a way of trying to address some of the concerns rather than exploit them. That's what he says. There's also uh, Peter Dutton in 2016, point blank, saying that it was a mistake to bring Lebanese Muslims to Australia under Malcolm Fraser. So um, all of these things kind of um, combine. I just want to ask you: Do you think that the Liberal Party has an Islamophobia problem? Parts of it do. The Southern Shire Liberal Party doesn't. Um, I remember at the time when the rumour of me being um, Islamic, and the context of that rumour was I'd anglified the spelling of my name to fit in. After everything I'd done in this country, including serving in the military, first-class honours degrees, charity, never been in trouble, just being a good citizen, I still always felt there was a really big glass ceiling, like very sitting above my head. There wasn't too far I could go and got sick of, you know, people not being able to pronounce the family name. Like, Oh, how do you spell that? Uh, you know, where's that from? So I anglified it um, well before the pre-selection. And one of Scott Morrison's closest friends, cause I had to submit my birth certificate well, updated birth certificate, which shows my original name. They took my birth certificate with the change of name, running around telling people, oh, look, he's changed his name. Um, it's because we think he's a Muslim. And you had changed your name to try and... Assimilate and do the thing that these rednecks ask of immigrants, like come here, learn English, but all the other stuff, um, you know, the Australian values um, crap, which they try to hide some of the stuff that's not really Australian values. Um, yeah, I um, I try to blend in and... Um, uh, they turned it against me. 
Let me ask you one, one more question. One more question. Um, we've got a federal election coming up in May. Is there anything that you would say to the Australian people before we go into that federal election? I think people need to start exercising critical thinking on both sides, whether on Labor and whether on Liberal voters creating these safe seats where power brokers on both sides can just put in any idiot put in a puppet. That's a huge existential threat to our democracy. I mean, democracy is a social, a fragile social construct. It's only as good as the people involved. Um, this rusted on supporter on both sides um, is needs to stop. Um, I don't care if your great-great-grandfather was a Labor Party and you just always voted Labor. Start looking. I mean, Anthony Albanese has actually been a, quite disappointing. Um, you know, he's no Paul Keating. I mean, Paul Keating would have won this election six months ago, like before the poll. Albo is going to fall over the line because Morrison's basically shot himself um, in, in both feet. He's really underwhelming. And that ridiculous performance wouldn't take a question from someone. You know, it just shows you that these, these people have lost their, 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 their touch with people. But more precisely to the Middle Eastern community, what I said happened in 2007 happened. He was heavily involved in it. He's played the race card demonstrably for years. He's taken the Middle Eastern community as dopes, and some of them probably willfully um, because they have business ties to him, and some just out of pure ignorance. They just have only ever seen the shiny, you know, PR Scotty from marketing external image. But this is a divisive man who has used racial vilification, not just with me but with many other people, Islamophobia and bigotry on several occasions in his career to divide us for his own political gain. And if the Liberal Party insists on keeping him as their leader, then you need to really think about think hard about not voting for him or for the party, which sends a message to both sides um, because then that sets the standard. Michael Toe, pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what an honour to, um, to to meet you. Um, and um, thank you for reaching out. Ah, pleasure. And that's exactly what I say whenever Jan calls me. I say, what an honour to meet you, Jan. <laughs> thank you for reaching out. Oh, wow, what an impressive guy. Seriously, what Australia missed out on to have a man of his calibre in Parliament. Oh, my God. Listening to him talk, he makes me hopeful for Australia. He makes me, he paints a picture of an Australia that I believe in. <laughs> it's so astounding. It's so astounding. Like the, the complete separation of where we are and where we could be with a person like Michael Toke in power. Didn't it feel like a sliding doors moment, that oh. pre-selection of Cook, which, you know, he won in the first round ballot. It's like, hmm, what could be different if he had won the seat of Cook? Like the the trajectory that, you know, this this country has ended up on would have just been very different because Scott Morrison wouldn't have been in the parliament at all. Not yeah. making a value judgment on that. I'm just saying that a very big part of Australian political life just wouldn't be there. But my question is, what would have replaced it? Mm. Mm. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be a fool's errand to go and paint a, a Liberal Party that is very progressive on immigration, wouldn't it? <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, it, who knows what could have happened? You know, if Scott Morrison wasn't in power, we, would, we wouldn't have had On Water Matters, for instance, and, and stopped the boats. We'd have a whole different lexicon to deal with. Um, and so who knows? Who knows what that could be? Yep. Who knows indeed? 
Jan Fran has issues. With election history! <laughs> there you go. I thought I'd add a harmonica to that one since we mixed it up um, oh, last week. Matt. Give that one a go. Yes, weird election history. This is the story of how a neo-Nazi sympathiser ended up in the Australian Senate. It's my favourite story of all time. And the boy who tried to stop him with an egg. Oh, God. Who better to tell you this story than someone who knows the Senate and, sadly, racism inside and out. We're talking about Maureen Faruqi, Australia's first ever female Muslim senator. Take it away, Maureen. This story starts long ago in the BC times, before COVID, way back in 2016. One Nation had picked up two Senate seats, one for Pauline Hanson and one for Malcolm Roberts. Roberts was forced to give up his seat because of questions over his citizenship, leaving it to the third person on the One Nation Senate ticket, a man named Fraser Anning. Wanna guess how many below-the-line votes Fraser Anning actually got? 19. One nine. That means only 19 people voted specifically for Fraser Anning. But against the odds, Fraser became the senator that almost no one wanted. Fraser's honeymoon with One Nation would end almost immediately, and he would give his first speech to the Senate brimming with pride. Some would say white pride. The final solution to the immigration problem, of course, is a popular vote. In case you're wondering, Fraser's use of the term final solution was in regards to banning Muslim immigration. It sent shockwaves through the Senate. It was even too racist for Pauline Hansen. Straight from Goebbels' handbook from the Nazi Germany. But this wouldn't be the end of Fraser's crusade against Muslims. Fast forward to 2019. The Christchurch mosque massacre left 51 innocent Muslim worshippers dead. And the mass shooter was an Australian white supremacist. Fraser Anning knew he had to take action. And he did what every self-respecting politician would do. He composed a tweet. Does anyone still dispute the link between Muslim immigration and violence? That's right. His tweet blamed the victims for being Muslim and migrating. The uproar was instant. Never being one to miss an opportunity, he scheduled a speech for the next day. A speech that would give birth to one of Australia's most iconic moments. Enter Egg Boy. Secured in a chokehold after leaving Egg on a conservative senator's face. Galvanised by Egg Boy, Australians made their voices heard and the racist senator lost his seat at the next federal election. And while the fight against racism continues, one thing is for certain. This egg has united people. Yay! Thank you, the egg that united the country. And thank you, Maureen, for that little story time for us. And can I just say... Maureen Faruqi became Australia's first female Muslim senator less than 24 hours after Fraser Anning called for Muslim immigration to be halted. What a timely, timely thing. Oh, my gosh. And we should also 
probably recognise um, the folks who have been let out of immigration detention this week, which has been an incredible effort from from so many activists getting this on the radar and keeping pressure up on the government for doing it. Um, just absolutely astonishing. So It only took nine years, but you know what? At least it's not ten. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll take what we can get at this point, sadly. I'm sad to say. Oh, dear. Speaking of taking what we will at this point, um, if you feel like it, come to Irrational Fear this Sunday. <laughs> At the uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival, we've got a, one big show. It's huge. Uh, Grace Tame is doing the show. Gabby Bold's doing the show. Lewis Hobber, Dane Simpson, Alice Fraser, and independent candidate for Goldstein, Zoe Daniel, is also going to be joining us on stage as well. Um, so tickets are selling fast. We are more than 60% sold. So, you know, just buy another 100 tickets. Come along. It's going to be great. You can do it. And make sure you join us next week. We're going to be talking about... I believe the cost of living, but who knows what pops up between now and then. There might be another surprise prominent Lebanese person who jumps in the news feed and, and Jan Fran will want to interview them. No, of course. Jan, can I say your interview with Michael was uh, fascinating, intriguing, and it's just a testament to you as a person and a journalist that he chose to sit down with you. So thank you for getting Michael. It's it's He's, he's somebody I've wanted to hear from for you know about five or six years since that last story broke. So, you know, Thank you. And a big thanks to everybody who works on the show. FNK Media, shout out to our amazing producers. Also, big thanks to Rode for helping us with some gear for the show, the Jib Foundation, all of our Patreon supporters at Irrational Fear. Also, a big shout out to the Gadigal people whose land we make this podcast on. Thank you so much. And remember to vote rationally. 